0: Good to see y'all here this morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson. Um, Redemption Church is one church and multiple congregations throughout Arizona. And so, um, if you're if you're new, it's so good to uh, have y'all here this morning. As they said, I do want to give you a quick heads up. I have a stutter, so just so you know, uh, before we kind of get into it and you're not like, what is he doing? Hip hop? What's he trying to do? It's uh it'll kinda come in and out. So, um hey, I didn't actually plan on this, but if you for whatever reason um were uh were were you know have been coming here to redemption and then were gone for the, the summer, would you go ahead and stand? Um I just love to see kinda where who all we've had kinda coming back from the summer for different things. So I see you guys waving at one another and things. So that's great. Um, yeah, have a see, Go ahead and have a seat. it's mean, it's good to kind of see you back. We've, um, we've said kind of throughout the summer that this has been a really good chance for us as a church to just kind of get to grow in our identity and our culture and who we are and who we're called to be as a church here in uh, Tucson. And it's also just so good and so fun to kind of bring life back into our city, even though traffic is way worse. Um, and so good, though, to have you all here. So um, we have a lot to cover. OK, so we're going to we're going to get after it pretty quickly. We're um, covering 25 verses and there's a cohesive theme throughout. But um, I want to say that if we're not careful, if we don't really kind of do some work to really get into it and really engage our minds and kind of get into The story will walk it away from here, being like, all right, Jesus rode on a donkey, threw a little temper tantrum at a tree, went in and threw a fit in the temple, and then went back by the tree that he just uh, cursed, and then that's it. All right, all right, drop the mic. Like, good good Sunday. But um, there's a lot more going on here, and we are going to walk through those, perhaps for some here, familiar stories. But um, God, in His Word, has given us a, a clear theme throughout. And it's, and it's all about the King. And the King is showing us um, who He is and what He's doing. In fact, Mark, we've been walking through the book of Mark, or the gospel according to Mark, and um, we love to go through books of the Bible, and what uh, the theme, or even sermon, of this entire book of Mark is, begins with an announcement like a proclamation it's like a birth announcement it says the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god and it's the same kind of language in that day that like the 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 roman emperor caesar like a birth announcement caesar is born good news for the empire the kingdom is secure of course rome is no longer rome so we know that that empire or kingdom uh, didn't hold up to its claim and, and the and the message here is no the kingdom of god the good news of jesus is here and, and there's an invitation to kind of lean in and to and to listen and and what we're shown is we're shown um, this is jesus and this is what he's doing and then all throughout you and i are invited to consider who is jesus and what is he doing and then how do you respond to him? And so as we specifically walk through these verses together today, we're going to see this, this flow together. Okay, We're going to see the, the king's entry. And then we'll see the king's judgment revealed. And then the king's judgment displayed. And then the king's judgment portrayed. And so again, let me, let me invite you, like you would in a m- m- movie, like if you're a young kid and you're watching Disney or whatever, and you pretend, oh, I'm that character, I'm that. Don't pretend you're different characters, but, but get into this, okay? Let's lead, let's, let's, um, we always do that when you read God's Word. You always want to understand the particular context it's given in historically and, and all of that. And so for us, let's, um, let's kind of get into this story and, and, and help us understand what God's saying through His Word, okay? So with that, let me pray and ask God to lead us through our time together. Lord, uh, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, thank you for all the students who are back here. Thank you for everyone who's here. I don't know where different people are coming from. Some are coming back to school. Some maybe are about to leave school. Maybe some have had jobs or different things or just some of us have been kind of sweating it out together throughout the summer. Um, Lord, wherever we're coming from physically and also emotionally, um, emotionally, I uh, I pray that you will speak to us what you know we need to hear. And we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, let me ask you a question, you, personally. What do you make of Jesus? Like, right now, where wherever you're coming from, what do you make of Jesus? I suspect for some, you're like, I've got this whole thing, I'm a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home, I know Christianity, I've heard all the stories that Dave just said we're about to walk through, I know it. Um, Maybe, let me submit to you, maybe um, we need to kind of take off our glasses and and they need to be polished a bit, because maybe we don't see exactly as we think we do. Maybe others are here and you're like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know this whole Jesus thing. I don't know what Jesus is doing. I don't know what we're about to hear. Uh, maybe you have heard this. And you're like, yeah, I think he is throwing a temper tantrum, and I don't like it. And um, I don't know if I want to be a part of it, this whole Jesus thing. And if I do, can I? Like, w- would he have me? Maybe, maybe you're, you're coming from that place. Maybe you're here, and you're like, yeah, I think I'm cool with it. I, I get Jesus, but um, honestly, it's not like I expected. I, maybe you, you feel like I was sold something a little differently and it hasn't panned out that way. Or this, this stuff God seems to be doing, we've used this word a lot, is counterintuitive. Like God says he's working in my life, but it's rough. Um, uh, I, I want to say, whoever you, wherever you're coming from in that, um, I'm really glad you're here. And um, I'm also going to say, turn with your Bibles uh, to Mark, I see our, our volunteers are still standing there with their Bibles. I got so excited, I, I forgot to say that. If you don't have a Bible, if you could hold your hand up high, someone will get you one. I want to make sure everybody has a Bible. So um, I, I'm still really glad you're here and we're getting into this. But um, go ahead and turn with me in Mark chapter 10. Um, also, see si necesitas en español, tenemos. Um, solamente diga español. So if you need a Bible in Spanish, um, go ahead and just say uh, espanol. Sadly, I can't preach in Spanish, but we want you to have a Bible. Also, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Okay, We believe this is God's word given to us to instruct us in all of life to reveal who he is. So um, so go ahead and keep this Bible if you don't other one, own one otherwise. So again, um, thank you guys for being patient with me there, standing there nicely holding the Bible. So... Um, Again, what do you make of Jesus? Wherever you're coming from there, uh, this is, is given to you to reveal himself to you and to invite you to follow him more clearly, more understandingly. Okay, so with that, we're, this is a big day for us as we are in Mark chapter 11. You can feel free to turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to chapter 11. Every time we, go, we hit a new chapter, we can do that. We've been marching through for like eight months, so we're doing this. So we're in a new chapter, and this is a, a, a turning point in what we've seen Jesus doing because they're about to enter Jerusalem. And for the last two chapters specifically, and uh, and and the first um, six chapters uh, in general, Jesus has been marching toward Jerusalem. He's been on a trajectory to go to Jerusalem, and he's. Clearly had a plan and a mission. He's going to Jerusalem. Do you know what happens in Jerusalem? It's where he dies, and that wasn't an accident. It didn't come upon him surprisingly. He's known that, and he's been moving that way. And so this is the day he enters Jerusalem. So go ahead, let's read in in chapter eleven. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So again, to help us kind of get into this, to understand what we're reading, what's going on, this whole scene here is... um, um they're coming from Jericho, and Jericho is about 12 miles away from Jerusalem, and it's, it's 800 feet below sea level, and then after a kind of long, dry, stony, rocky tri- uh, trip, a road of, of about 12 miles, you come through the M- M- Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, which is about, about uh, 3,000 feet above sea level. So that's like a 4,000 uh, feet difference in 12 miles. That's massive. And, and they've come this way. And so um, Jesus prepares, prepares his followers for this to some degree, but you, you can't. Okay, So think with me, wherever, if you've been on a trip, if you've ever come from Tucson to San Diego, and your first time you come down and you see the ocean, or um, if you've ever been up on Mount Lemmon and just once you start to, to feel, wow, the, the air outside's cool. And you see all the trees, you're like, well, we're no longer in the desert floor. And you kind of, no matter how many times you've done it, it, it does something to you. The most clear picture to me of this is um, if you've ever been so uh, unfortunate to drive from Northern California to Salt Lake City and you drive ac- across the salt flats and it is my it's like the moon it really or mars it really is it is nothing it is completely dry and salty and depressing and like like that you come up on salt lake city which has ski resorts and huge trees and lakes and all this stuff and it's it's overwhelming well that's the kind of um that's that's what's happening here as they enter jerusalem and there's serious expectation And just notice, though, that Jesus says, go do this, go tell these people this, get this colt, all this is fulfilling prophecy, by the way. The entire Old Testament has, has built up to this time. In fact, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, say almost exactly what Jesus is doing here. And, and, and we're told that, that the Son of Man would come riding on a colt that has never been sat on. So, so Jesus knows all this, and he's, he's setting it up. And he says, If anyone asks you, say, Who, who sent you? Just a, The Lord. Okay, in case we're, what, I do it, you ever say that to your friends? Like, hey, go get me a Slurpee. If they ask, tell them the Lord sent you. Like, no, you don't do that, right? Just this is one of many reminders. If you do, you should. Okay, we will call you out for that. But um, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus doesn't give the option of just a good guy, a good moral example that he is clearly here, the word there for Lord, he is clearly saying the Almighty One, the Creator, God the Son has sent you. This is a clear proclamation of his identity. And so he sends his followers. And then go ahead and pick up with me right now in verse 8 as we enter into this scene even more. As as the king makes his entry in verse 8, And many spread their cloaks on the road, And others spread leafy branches and they had cut from the field and those who went before and those who followed were shouting Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David Hosanna in the highest who's Hosanna and why are they shouting her name Honestly, is that, I mean, we sometimes churches sing a song and I even as a pastor have sat there and been like, who's this Hosanna gal? Like we, we just sometimes in our Christian culture, we'll just do stuff and not even stop to ask what it is. Well, Hosanna, what is it? Hosanna is a word, a fairly common word in that day where it had kind of two meanings. It meant on the one hand, it, it was kind of a cry out, God, save us. God, help us. It's like you're, you're facing an obstacle, and you're like, let's get through this. It's a cry out. And it's also a victory cry. After a victory has been won, you would also, it's almost like saying, God has helped us. Hosanna, we won. Do we know anything about this kind of phrase? Here in Tucson, we have a little phrase that we say all the time. What is it? Let's hear it. Bear down. That's right. If you went to ASU, if maybe your skin is crawling right now, if you don't know that, welcome to some of our Tucson culture, but bear down is a a phrase, I won't get into the history, though I really, really want to, it's not a stupid saying, by the way, it means something. But anyway, the saying, bear down, was, well, I'll get into it just a little bit. So the team captain (laughs) was on his deathbed after a car accident, John Button, and he said, tell the team to bear down. And so when the team is facing obstacles, is facing whatever kind of giant before us on the field or the court or wherever, we sing bear down, we chant bear down, we yell bear down, come on, let's bear down. And after a victory is won, like last year, last November, we beat a team up to the north fairly handily, we shouted and yelled bear down and everybody yells bear down in victory. And so it goes both ways, right? Okay, sorry for that, but it helps us understand a little better. And I like to take any chance I can. It's similar, though, Hosanna, but obviously on a much greater level. It's it's a cry out to God. So to understand this a little better, let's do a little bit of history backtrack, okay? What happened in the year 323 B.C.? Some people here, I'm sure, will know that. It's the year that Alexander the Great died. At the age of 33, perhaps the greatest kind of conquering ruler the world has ever known, young man, Alexander the Great, conquered all the way over to India through Europe and all North Africa, all this great land Alexander the Great conquered all this stuff and he brought the, the Greek culture and then in 323 BC he died and when he died, his kingdom was split into two, um, into two different factions or types of rule and one of the groups was called the Seleucids. And one of these rulers, Antiochus IV, um, had no regard for the cultures he was taking over. He wanted to bring in his agenda, and he didn't care who he rolled over to do it. Other cultures, other kingdoms didn't always do that. They would synchronize and let other things happen, but this guy wouldn't. And so specifically, now bring it back here to the Jewish people, the Israeli people, the people that were understanding here what's going on, In 167 BC, Antiochus IV did the unthinkable. He rode into the temple, which is, I'll get into it. We'll spend a lot of time understanding the temple. But the temple is like the holy place. It's the reminder of God's promise to dwell physically, presently with his people. And it's the place where all of the people of God would come and would offer sacrifices and would worship and would live together and do their whole way of life revolved around this temple. And then Antiochus IV rode in there, into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he set up an altar to God, no, to Zeus, right? The chief god of the pantheon, the the, 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 the many gods of the Greek religion. He set up an altar to Zeus and he sacrificed a pig on this altar, which was a, a, a defiled animal to the, the Jewish People, an unclean animal, you wouldn't even touch a pig, much less sacrifice it on a temple made to Zeus. And then going a step further, right? You guys with me? Because let me tell you, this this is like Braveheart stuff we're getting into here, okay? Or if you've ever seen Red Dawn, not the new one, but the original, the Red Dawn, Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise. This is this kind of stuff, okay? So 167 BC, he does that. And he forces everybody... Jewish people to, to to offer unclean sacrifices to his gods, his false gods, as we're told in the Bible, and and he's doing this just defiling. And so, a man named um, Matthias Ben Johanan um doesn't like it. He's an old priest, kind of crotchety old guy, and he's like, "This sh- it shouldn't be this way." So, what does he do? He kills all of his countrymen who are offering up these sacrifices, and any Greek. Guard who's forcing them to do that. So obviously the, the, the ruling government doesn't like that, so he has to flee into the woods with his five sons. And one of his sons, uh, Judah, after, after the old priest dies, one of his sons, Judah, steps up, and uh, he leads this group, and they lead all kinds of revolts and all kinds of things. And on December 25th, right, we know that, we know that date, December 25th, 164 BC, Judah rides in to Jerusalem to the shouts of what? What do you think the crowd shout out and do? Hosanna! Hosanna! Victory has been won. Judah, and they give him a nickname, Judah Maccabee. That means the hammer. What a cool nickname, huh? I would love, if you could, go ahead, if you want. If you want to call me Dave the, Dave the Hammer, you can. No, he called Judah the Hammer because. He has just put the smack down on all these people, and he comes riding victoriously, and he cleanses the temple of all these unclean things going on there. And he comes in, and, uh, and, and hope has been restored. And they, they lay down palm branches. He comes riding in victoriously with a sword. He's just done all these things. Judah Maccabee, and in fact, the Jewish people even to this day celebrate Hanukkah. This is what they're recognizing. They're celebrating this time and this time of hope and the, and the, and the Maccabean victories and the Maccabean revolt. And, and so then, though, um, Judah Maccabee eventually died and Rome eventually took over. And about 200 years later, here we are. We're in this scene. And once again, the people are just looking around like, what's going on? And then Jesus announces in Mark chapter one, "Good news! The kingdom of God is at hand." So people are getting ready. Okay, we know how this goes. We're getting ready. All right, get your sword out. Do this stuff. And so that's their expectation. And yet Jesus comes um, humbly, riding on a colt, not a stallion, not a you know, um, not a noble steed. He comes, he comes riding in. If you've ever seen Shrek, I'm a noble steed. Right? But no, he's a humble donkey. So Jesus comes riding in on a humble donkey. And so the crowds are excited. Hosanna, Hosanna. But they're kind of looking, kind of not sure. And then eventually, in verse 11, what happens? So there's this big entry, right? Here it comes, just like Judah Maccabee, but not. And then in verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, and it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Don't miss how anticlimactic this is, guys. <laughs> okay, just picture the build-up, the hype. Again, Judah Maccabee just did all this stuff. When Judah Mac- Maccabee went in, Judah the hammer, he brought the hammer. He went into the temple. He killed people. He cleaned it. He did all this stuff. Well, seemingly, the crowds disperse, because they're like, dude, this donkey's moving slowly. Um, and they're just kind of cruising along, and then, and then next thing you know, um, apparently the crowds have dispersed, because Jesus kind of nonchalantly goes into the temple, looks around, he's like, what's going on? Kind of checks it out, and then leaves. No, 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 that's our expectation. Remember, I asked you, what is your expectation of Jesus? Well, these people had some pretty serious expectations for what he would do. And then he just leaves. The king has made his entry. And now we're going to pick up in some more confusion, okay? Embrace the confusion here. Get into it with the story. An original reader of this would be like, man, what? And then he left. He went back to Bethany with his twelve to go to sleep. All right. Pick up with me in verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany... He was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Again, like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> Why? What? And if you know anything more, which I'm not an agricultural Professional by any means, but this wasn't even the season for figs. So Jesus is cursing a tree for doing what it's supposed to do. It's not providing fruit. Um, one one scholar and author said this about about this instance. He said uh, that, Joseph, that uh, Jesus is is showing vindictive fury. A man by the name name of Bertrand Russell wrote something, Why I'm Not a Christian. And, And specifically of this event, he said, It's appalling. Jesus is showing vindictive fury. He's throwing a little temper tantrum. And then he goes on and says of Jesus, he says this, He says, I cannot myself feel that either in the matter of wisdom or in the matter of virtue, Christ stands quite as high as some other people known to history. So essentially what he's saying with, with this is he's saying, I'm appalled by the person and character of Jesus. So in answering that question I asked, what do you make of Jesus? He'd be like, not as great as some other historical figures. Look at him. He, he exercises no restraint. He throws a temper tantrum. And he has vindictive fury. Some were sort of us are like, oh, you can't say that in church. You can't read that kind of quote. We have a Nietzsche quote on the wall, by the way not as bad as it could have been. It's about music, so it's good. We embrace it. Take the good, throw out the bad. Nietzsche said some other things that we definitely do not agree with. But um, let me invite you to embrace intellectual honesty. Wherever you're at right now, feel the freedom to be honest. To ask honest questions. Like this man Bertrand Russell. He just says, I'm not a Christian, he acknowledges the truth, I don't know what to make of Jesus, and he's honest with it, but, but let me say, um, what you do with that is really, really important, because I think a lot of us maybe feel outside pressure and think, I don't, I've got all these questions, I don't know what to do with them, and so like him, we stop at verse 14 and just say, He throws a temper tantrum, I'm done. See, see God, that's why I don't follow you. Look what's going on in my life. Look what's going on. The history doesn't match up or whatever it is, you stop too short. Embrace what you don't know. Embrace where you're at, but, but dive deeper in. I am absolutely confident that as you move more closely in, as you move toward Jesus, as you say, I don't get it. As he even says here, I, I, I don't really have faith, help my unbelief. I'm confident that he will. This is an invitation to say, what's going on here? And then it seemingly picks right up and he goes into Jerusalem, into the temple. Let me, let me pause here for a second, because what just happened with the fig tree, as, as the king is, is revealing his judgment, ha, is absolutely tied to what goes on in the temple and then absolutely tied to what we're about to read after it about the fig tree. Okay, this is something, some of you have actually heard this before, but it's a really important part that Mark does a lot. The author Mark, uh, that the gives the gospel account, the good news account of Jesus, he's, he's using something here called a Markin' Sandwich. It's called the sandwich approach. In literary writing, sometimes people would, would 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 break up a story or use two different stories to sandwich or or explain the middle, the main part. Right? It's like an In-N-Out burger. Um, sorry if you're vegan or vegetarian. I don't. Um, you can you can make this illustration work for you. But um, an In-N-Out burger, right? The bread is really really good. Posted, it's, it's so good, but it's not the main part, right? You can still have a pro, What do you call it? P- protein style, right? You can have any kind of style there you want. You can even have protein style. So though the the bread is really good, you can also wrap it in lettuce, and it still works because it's it's holding together and informing, if you will, the main part. The you know two all beef patties. No, that's McDonald's. Whatever their slogan is, the, the patties and the cheese and all the different stuff. The outside is really important, right? You need it to hold it together. But it's, it's informing what's going on in the middle. So the same is true here. That's why the author explains this. Jesus curses this fig tree for not producing fruit. And then he goes into Jesus' time in the temple. And then we'll pick back up with the fig tree again. And there's a clue here. At the end of it, in verse 14, it says, And his disciples heard it. Okay, that's a clue. Jesus is going to come back to this. His disciples took note, just like you and I took note, just like you and I said, I don't really get it. And the author's like, hey, I'll, I'll explain it. So then we move on when we go into Jesus cleansing the temple. Let's read in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them. So what's going on here again? The expectation, all right? Remember, what's the expectation here? The promise of God all along has been this. From the very beginning, God creates humanity. Okay, Genesis, I'm talking. The very beginning, God says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, He made them, male and female. He made them, and God said, it is very good, be fruitful and multiply. And God gave humanity, corporately and individually, a charge. He said, "My very purpose for creating you is to know me and relate with me perfectly, to have perfect relationship with me and perfect relationship with one another. And everything you do in life—your studying, your sports, your, you know, ordering in and out Burger per se, your whatever it might be—everything you do, digging holes, um, laying drywall, operating on people, all of it, God gave with a purpose." And God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. But sin enters the world. And in short, okay. if you don't know what sin is, it is this. Sin is saying, thanks but no thanks, God. Sin is choosing not God. That's the most, most clear but broad understanding of what sin is. It's saying, I- I'm going to go at it alone. And that's the lie that humanity believed in the garden said, maybe we don't need God after all. Maybe we can use God to meet our needs where we want, but maybe we can do this whole thing on our own. That's the lie that Adam and Eve believed and that you and I believe today. And so God made a promise and said, I won't leave you there. I will establish my people to dwell with me. I will be their God. They will be my people. And throughout the entire Old Testament, this promise is being unfolded and being laid out. And and God gives himself, his presence in the form of a tabernacle, something that moves along with the people as they go, and then, and, then, and then they build a temple and God explains how to do it, and the temple has a clear purpose. And the temple is to be the place where God would dwell, and where God would, would be a reminder to all people, that's important, we'll get to that, to all people, that he is restoring what has been broken. And so Jesus comes in and the expectation here is just like Judah Maccabee. Jesus coming, wielding a sword, just dropping people like flies, cleaning it out, cleaning out all the dirty people, all the, the people that shouldn't be here and setting it up just like they expected to do. Yeah, come on, king, do your thing. That whole donkey thing, I don't know why you did that, but you came in on a donkey, but come on, do your thing, clean house. And what does Jesus do? He comes in and is not happy with what he sees. And he turns over tables and all this. And we think, right, we might think Jesus is doing this because he's, he's keeping church right. He's keeping church pure the way it's supposed to be. And if you maybe grew up in an environment in the south or somewhere where I actually lived for a while, and you you could people can use this for all kinds of things and be like, See, you're not supposed to wear shorts and sandals to church. See, or, and you could, you could twist it and all this stuff. But what Jesus is doing, he's getting at, he's saying, no, no, no. The temple is not fulfilling its purpose. It was never intended to fulfill the purpose that it's been um, having right there. Because God formed the people, the, is- the, the Israelites, the people of God, with a purpose to be a light to the nations. Because when we When astray, when we turned our backs on God, sin broke into the world. The entire world is marred by sin, is broken individually, communally, relationally, everywhere. And God said, I'm going to make this right. And he chose to focus in on one family and that turned into one nation, one group of people. And God said, you will be a light to the nations. And your relationship with me will reflect the, the goodness of who I am and what I'm doing and what I promise I will do to restore all things Worldwide to bring my kingdom. And it wasn't doing this at all. Because this takes place in the court of the Gentiles. Not just by chance. This takes place in, 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 the, in the court of the Gentiles. Who, who, who set up an altar to Zeus? Gentiles. Who is ruling over these people and oppressing these people right now? Gentiles. So they don't like Gentiles. They're like, yeah, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the King is going to come and He's going to clean the temple of the Gentiles so we can just do our thing and relate with God as we want to. God says, no, that's not the purpose. That was never the purpose. In fact, there was an inscription on the court of Gentiles. So that the temple is laid out like this. Okay, There are four parts and there is the court of of um, women, where only women could go. And then there's the court of the Gentiles, which was the biggest part of the temple. And it was like over five football fields long and almost about three and a half football fields wide. I'm excited for football, if you can't tell. I've used some illustrations here today. It's it's over 30 acres of area, okay, huge area. And then there's the court of the Israelites, where only the um, circumcised Israelites could go. And then there's the Holy of Holies. Well, in the court of the Gentiles, which God gave to be a place where all nations could come and see and experience and understand some of God and His character. Could get a taste. Could come and see who God is and what He's doing. And there's an inscription, though, that says this. It says, no foreigner may enter, this is talking about going from the court of Gentiles into the court of Israel, no foreigner may enter within the railing and enclosure that surrounds the temple. Anyone apprehended shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. Awesome, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the welcome, Matt. I'm excited to come and learn more. I came, I had some questions about God, I wanted to learn a little bit, and thanks for the, thanks for the warm welcome. Okay, that's, that's the posture that has, that has happened here now. That's, the, that's what's going on here. And Jesus is coming and saying, no, 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 it's not the way you think it's supposed to be. The Son of Man, the King, comes victoriously. He's on a, he's on a mission. He doesn't waver, but counterintuitively, he's on a donkey. He's on a colt, he comes in, he goes in the temple at first and looks around He's like, like, alright, I know what I need to do here. And he curses the fig tree, which we'll get back to, and then he comes in. And what he's saying is he's bringing his judgment. The expectation was that he would bring his judgment and clean out the temple of the Gentiles. But what he does is Jesus comes and cleans out the the, the temple for the Gentiles. Do you hear the difference? Do we as the church sometimes even today have that posture? Get all the bad people out. This is a place where we can vote the way we want to vote and do what we want to do and carry ourselves the way we think we should. Carry ourselves. No, this is a place to come and see God and be and be um, challenged, yes, and, and, and faced with Jesus and then ask, how do you respond to Him? Wherever you're coming from, all of life is all... Jesus come and see and consider will you follow him and so Jesus comes and he clears out the temple and then what happens in verse 18 the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching so they're mad alright they're not mad this reveals their, their, their whole agenda Their religious agenda, like so many of us today, is not to humbly come and say, God, who are you and what are you doing? Jesus, who are you and how do I respond to you? What does it look like for me to surrender my life to you? No, we take God and we fit him into a little slice in our lives, whether we're liberal or Democrat or Republican or far right or far left. We all have this sin propensity to say, God, you fit right here. And then to set our whole lives up around that structure. And Jesus is absolutely cleaning house. He's bringing judgment to that. He's clearing it out and saying, no, 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 that's not the way I designed you to live. And understandably, these people are mad. And they say, "You are Jesus, you are uh, inflicting uh, havoc on our whole way of life, on our whole structure. So, and they look for a way to kill him, which he knows is the plan all along. That's why he came. And then it says in verse 19, and when evening came, they went out of the city. So again, Jesus comes in, he does this, and then he goes back. What is he doing? We'll pick back up with the fig tree. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi means good teacher, contrasted to these these Pharisees, these religious authorities, who, who were not wanting to hear whatever Jesus had to say to them, this is a posture of saying, I'm confused, like probably many of us right now. I'm confused, but you're the good teacher. Help me understand. So, so Peter says, Rabbi, good teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. It come back around. He points out the tree. And then he asks, what's going on here? And then pick up with me. In uh, verse 22, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So some of you maybe have heard a sermon on this passage before, which I have, and I was dumbfounded upon reflection as I read this and thought, sometimes you hear this, you hear Jesus say, whoever has enough faith, say to this mountain, get up and throw it into the sea, it'll be done for you. And then you walk away with the action point of, okay, muster up more faith, have enough faith, and whatever you want say and it will be done for you and use God like a magic genie and he'll do it and, and, and if, you don't ha- if your life isn't happy and full of prosperity and joy and all the things that you think it should be, it's because you don't have enough faith. So muster up enough faith. Does that seem to fit with what we've been reading? Not at all. Jesus is saying, whoever has enough faith, this mountain will be done away with. This mountain is likely the temple mount that he was just in. He's he's revealing. He's saying, look, I know it's not clear right now, but it will become more clear. Have faith. Trust in me. Whoever has faith, though you're confused right now, though your expectations of God are one way, continue to look to Jesus. Continue to move more closely in, and he will reveal himself. These people, Peter, could not yet fully understand at this time. But he still looks at a tree... And he's confused. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm bringing my judgment. God's judgment is revealed, it's displayed, it's portrayed, and it brings clarity for you and me. Because what Jesus is doing in the temple, what he did to the fig tree is saying, this whole structure, this whole way of life that is built upon not God, that's built upon sin, that's built upon life apart from God... Jesus says, I'm coming to do away with that fully. I am bringing the hammer. Look to the tree. Look to the tree that we get to look at every Sunday. The cross. Because Jesus does bring the hammer. But not with the sword. Not by killing everybody else. Not by clearing out the Gentiles. But for the entire world, he brings the hammer upon himself. And he offers him his own life up on the cross. And he says, look, have faith, and it will be given to you. And he even includes how we relate with one another. The very end there, he says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. This is simply a reminder that our relationships with one one another, our communal interaction, our societal relationship is also built upon his work on the cross. As you look to the tree, though you're confused by the fig tree that he's saying, I am undoing this whole structure that is built to keep others out and to isolate others and is built upon a whole structure that, that keeps God far away. Look to the tree where clarity comes. Have faith and understand. So as we come back around full circle, and I ask you, what do you make of Jesus? What do you understand of Him? Do you expect Him to be coming as a noble seed, valiantly coming, just no hardship, no difficulty? The cross is maybe an afterthought. Just have some faith, muster it up, and your life will be good and easy. Or do you come and are you like, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know. He throws temper tantrums at trees hopefully you understand a little more clearly here today but the best way to have clarity that you'll hear time and time again is to look to the tree where Jesus does bring judgment upon himself so if you're asking questions here today maybe you're asking does God love me Says we're told that God Demonstrates his love for you. That while you're yet a sinner, an enemy of God, Christ died for you. Does God know what he's doing? Yeah. He victoriously came to Jerusalem to lay down his life. His life wasn't taken from him, he gave it up willingly. Is God in control? Yes. Jesus hung on the cross and said, Into your hands I commit my spirit to the Father. Is Jesus reactive? Is Jesus throwing temper tantrums? Are you confused? You need look no further than the cross. God has gone to great lengths to show you his love for you. In the same way that in this story, a Gentile, by the way, the primary audience of Mark would have been the Christian church in Rome, wondering, is this stuff for me? It's I, What does the Jewish people have to do? I, I love them. They're my brothers and sisters. The, they, they follow Jesus, but so much is tied into them. And I'm confused. Is this whole thing for me? And, and the author has written so much to say, yeah, yeah, it is. It is for you. In fact, spoiler alert. At the end, when we get to Mark chapter 15, what happens is in Mark chapter 15, verse, I think, 58... The, um, the, the, the temple in the curtain will be ripped in half, revealing again that the relationship between God and man is, is fully accessible through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can now relate to God. The temple curtain is torn completely. And then in the very next verse, who finally sees? No human has seen Jesus as he fully is in this entire gospel according to Mike. Humans are constantly confirmed, are confused. Demons get it, but people are always confused. Even his own followers. Until Mark chapter 15. A Roman, Gentile soldier who at the very least witnessed and approved of the death of Jesus on the cross and very likely participated in it. He is the one who says Truly, this is the Son of God. Jesus comes, brings judgment, clears out the temple, not to, not to keep others out, not for a, a, a holy huddle of a select few, but to open the gates, to tear the temple, and say, all who have faith, come to me. Look to the cross. Jesus loves you, and he's inviting you to follow him. Let's pray and respond to Him. Lord Jesus, we, um, we admit a lot of confusion. We come with confusion. I had to really roll up my sleeves this week as I spent time in Your Word because a lot of these things that I've heard time and time again, I was confused about how to preach. And Lord, even that I think is a reminder that many of us come with confusion, whether we're facing academic probation For the student who's coming back and saying, this is it, this is my last chance, I've got to do it this summer. For someone who lost a job, for families that are struggling and wrestling, for those going through health issues, for brokenness, wherever we are, wherever we fall on the socioeconomic spectrum, and we're all broken people living in a broken world that resulted in a communal choice to say, not God. And yet by your grace, your undeserved favor, we come before you and we look to the tree, we look to the cross where we see the good news that you have laid your life down and victoriously risen from the dead so that in you and you alone we can be restored, restored with you, restored with one another, restored in all of life. So we thank you and we respond expectantly and humbly in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.